0: Human cannonballs. Number one, call all your credit card companies and ask that they lower your interest rate. You do that right off the get-go. You do that today. The problem is not that you use your credit cards. The problem is that the banks and credit card companies are also using your credit cards. They did not steal them out of your wallet to make false purchases, but they are sure using them to their full advantage to get you for every possible dollar of interest. How do you fire back? Negotiate a better interest rate. Kathleen had a large balance on her credit card and an alarming 22% interest rate. With one quick and simple phone call, Kathleen got her rate lowered. The customer service representative was very pleasant with Kathleen and said very politely, Hello, I am looking for a credit card statement, and I noticed that my interest rate is higher than it used to be. I know that when I got the card, it had an introductory interest rate. Is there any way I can go back to that rate? Remember, all you have to do is ask. Repeat these words. Can you lower my rate? Those are the golden words to know. Can you lower my rate? The credit card company lowered Kathleen's rate. You are a very pleasant and polite person, and I bet you'll probably do the same for you. Let's use some rough estimates to calculate the savings for Kathleen. These are interest and loan calculations on interest that you can use. I am trying to illustrate the point. So my figures are approximate. Now Kathleen's interest rate got knocked down from 22% to 9%. She had a balance of close to 8000 bucks. Even making just the minimum payment would allow her to pay off her credit card in half the time and save her $13,000 in interest. And that's really astonishing. You can make your calls and work out your own figures then tell all your friends so that they can wield the same power. Your telephone is a great weapon, so use it. Ready, aim, fire. Number two, call all your credit card companies and ask them to remove annual fees. Many cards today do not charge annual fees because of the competition between credit cards. Once one company stopped assessing the annual fees, most followed suit in order to keep customers. Annual fees used to be standard, though, and some credit cards that offer perks and rewards, like airline flyer miles, often charge an annual fee. Sometimes, it may not show up in your statement until after the first year or after an introductory period of six months. Review your statements each month. Ed and Sue still had an old card that carried an annual fee, along with a couple rewards cards that charge annual fees, too. There are simply too many card, credit card options out there today to pay an annual fee. Don't do it. If you see an annual fee show up in your statement, call and ask that it be removed. Most of the time, they will remove it. Two minutes of your time is certainly worth 50 bucks in your pocket. Hi, this is Ed Jones. I see on my statement that I was charged an annual fee of $50, and I was hoping you could waive that fee. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Talk to the manager odds are in your favor that the fee will be removed if not stop using that card it can be that simple remember the ball is in your court if you tell them you're going to transfer your balance elsewhere they usually will drop the annual fee in the big picture of life and money you might think at first that getting rid of an annual fee is no measurable savings if you had a card with a $50 annual fee and mindlessly paid it every year for 30 years you'd be wasting 1500 bucks. That's $1,500 that could be used for other purchases or invested. And over time, you know, it could be worth thousands more. We would never hold a $50 bill in our fist and light it with a match and watch it burn away to ash. Yet that is exactly what we are doing if we are paying our annual fees on our credit cards. Someone says, 50 bucks is not a lot of money. Really? Good. Give me 50 bucks. Ooh, it magically became a lot of money. Number three, call all your credit card companies and ask for a higher credit limit. If you are a good customer, a balance carrying, paying the minimum each month kind of good customer, the credit card issuer will raise your credit limit before you can say thank you very much. If they have you where they want you, they certainly want to keep you there. You don't have to give a reason as to why you want a higher credit limit. But if you ask, or if they ask you, you can say the words they love to hear. Balance transfer. Tell them that you're planning or considering to do a balance transfer from another card and want to be able to put the whole amount on their card. But that would require a higher credit limit than what they currently have. They would be delighted to help you out. The real reason that you want a higher credit limit on your card Is for your credit score and your goal of improving it that way as I stated before credit scores are lowered if your balances are too close to the credit limit if you have a thousand dollar credit limit on your card and your balance is eight hundred dollars the FICO calculation counts as a negative rating factor although I think that's stupid we can work with it keeping your balances low ideally to about 30% of the total available credit is good for your credit score so make the call and get your limits raised The same $800 balance on your card with a new $2,000 or $2,500 credit limit will boost your credit score, saving you thousands and thousands of dollars and probably tens of thousands. Ed called his credit card companies and asked each one to raise his credit limit. Some asked him why, and some didn't bother to ask. Each one agreed to raise it. Doing this may not show a dollar savings at the time of the phone call, but improving the credit score helps all future dealing. And what is your plan for the future? To create wealth. Good credit can take you there. In fact, it can get you all the way to millionaire acres. I will show you how. Number four, call all your credit card companies and ask that you remove late fees. This one is not a slam dunk. If it is your first late fee, you have a good chance to deal waive it. Hello, this is Sue Jones. I see on my credit card statement that I was charged a late fee this month and I was. Uh, wondering since i've never been late before i was hoping that you could waive that fee if you have a good payment history with that card issuer it is likely that they will remove the fee as a courtesy it was not so courteous of them to charge the fee in the first place especially since you are such a good customer but they do it they do it all the time and they hope that you don't bother to ever look at your statement exploiting college students If any group were to be given the title of the most sought-after by credit card companies, it would have to be the college kid. They want them while they're still young and not schooled in the ways of debt. Nineteen-year-olds are not nearly as sophisticated as they think they are, and they like to spend. They have little money so they barely make their payments, and they're immediately caught in the web. It is worse than stealing candy from babies. It is setting them up to fail before they even are out in the real world making it. Daniel was caught up in the, loop, in the hoopla of campus life as a freshman. And, of course, he opened up a new credit card account the first weekend he got there. The credit card company had the university name on his card, and they were right there on school grounds with their tables set up, tossing out Frisbees and free T-shirts. Daniel assumed it was all legit, and technically it is. Daniel thought he was a responsible guy, and technically he is. He pulled good grades and was planning to major in finance, of all things. He made his minimum payments on his credit card, and then more offers for credit cards came his way, with lots of nice, interesting perks. By the end of freshman year, Daniel had five credit cards and was $5,000 in debt. Daniel and thousands of college students just like him across the country learned their lesson the hard way. They purchased Their purchases ended up costing more than they ever imagined. They could have bought several frisbees and t-shirts for what the credit card companies ended up charging them in fees and usury interest. What little money they had in their piggy banks before they left college had been raided by the big bad wolf. Credit card issuers love the campus bunch because they turn out to be one of the most profitable groups of customers for the credit card industry college students are not screened the same way other applicants are they don't even have credit reports yet so a credit score does not come into the picture all they need to qualify for a credit card is the simple fact that they are a student at a college university the credit card companies know that they can get them hooked some college students now graduate with huge student loans and heavy credit card debt they're starting your life way behind the eight ball It is not a coincidence that 25 percent of all bankruptcies these days are filed by young people under the age of 25. That to me seems like a crime and is out of control, and no one is being held accountable. These credit card companies are responsible. The credit card issue is in the federal government just looked the other way. Take for example Twin Brothers, age 18. Alex goes to college and is handed a credit card at his university. He's allowed a card just because he's a student. I mean, how is this guy going to pay the bill He doesn't have a job? Zach decides to wait a year before going to college. He works full-time, and when he applies for a credit card, he's denied because he has no credit history. Now, Zach could pay his bill because he has a job, so the credit card companies do not want him. I mean, think of how upside-down nonsense this is. This is how crazy it is. The credit card companies want the guy who can't pay. That way they can keep whacking fee and fee and fee and fee and fee. And you will know they'll get their money in time. And it'll be triple or quadruple what he owed. That's the problem. Firing back. It is often said that debt is the one issue in this country that touches everyone. Debt doesn't discriminate. Maybe that is because the credit card companies are going out of their way. to get their paws on everyone. College kids never used to be targeted for credit cards. I mean, that was ludicrous. I mean, a college kid can't pay his bill. And poor people? I mean, come on, get serious. Spending over backwards to give cards to illegal aliens? What are you thinking? A decade or two ago, these groups of, quote, consumers were not aimed at by the financial lending industry, and they, the consumers, were better off because of it. Now, everyone is fair game except the game itself is unfair. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, if these people can't pay, then how are the credit card companies making money? The credit card companies are publicly traded corporations. They certainly want the money to come back from the consumer, but for five or 10 years, they don't need it to come back because they have on their balance sheet money due, which makes their stock go up. And all the fat cats for these companies are making money on the stock increases because the... This is, this is this crazy, stupid accounting systems that these banks are using now. That's one of the reasons. And they know that they'll eventually get the cash out of the majority of these people. And for those who are bad debt, they write it off and get huge tax losses so they don't have to pay taxes. So they can write off this huge amount of money, even though they only really gave a small amount of it. But they get it to write off triple of what they really gave out. It's fancy accounting. The bottom line is it works for them in many, many ways. Most parents have no idea that their kids are getting credit cards in school. And are shocked when they learn how much debt is piled up. Usually, it's the parents who have to come to their aid, helping their children pay off the balances. The credit card companies know this and literally bank on it. Sadly, it's not always the case. In the movie, Maxed Out, two mothers told their stories. These two mothers did not know each other previously. One had a son, one had a daughter. The two students went to different colleges and are a sobering example of what is happening on campuses throughout the United States. These two co-eds were just like Daniel, good kids, smart kids. Because they were good kids, they were ashamed of how the credit card company debt had mounted, too ashamed to tell their parents. Their separate stories ended the same tragic way, suicide. All they left were apologies, along with the stack of credit card bills. The mothers were devastated to lose their kids and devastated to learn what had brought on the despair. Imagine the grief and sheer agony for one of the mothers when a few months later the mailbox held a credit card offer in the name of her dead child, stating, We want you back. Zero percent APR for six months. Nothing should make a person take such drastic measures ever. No mother should ever have to endure that kind of heart tearing loss it's a mad mad world do not let your debts poison your life creditors do not own you you may owe them some money but you do not owe them your life there is always a way out these kids were too young to realize that the two mothers went to capitol hill to testify that credit card companies should be banned from college campuses just like drug dealers as they waited their turn to speak, they were surrounded by credit card industry lobbyists and power brokers discussing their golf scores and their campaign contributions. As these mums listened to the guys in the expensive suits, they became well aware that they were not operating on a level playing field. These mums had lost their children due to the evils of the lending industry's methods. And yet, their words fell on deaf ears. Good, decent parents with good, decent kids get trampled in the high-stakes world of politics. Lawmakers' deaf ears perked up only when the money starts talking. Elizabeth Warren, the Harvard law professor and credit expert, is infuriated at how the financial industry can run amok and ruin people's lives at will. Laws won't change because she says in the PBS documentary, Secret History of Credit Cards, it is credit card companies who make big political contributions, bribes and payoffs. It's credit card companies who have been the number one givers in Washington, not big oil, not big pharmaceutical companies. It's big consumer financial service company. They're giving money in Congress. They're giving money in presidential campaigns. Why would they be giving so much money? What they want to be sure is that their interests are protected and their ability to go out and sell credit cards is protected and their ability to charge outrageous fees is protected. And they want to continue to not have to tell what the terms are and they want to continue to be able to change those terms after someone has taken out the debt. No other industry has that ability. The words that come to my mind are crooks and shysters. The facts in black and white. Think of how we buy on credit. Most of us cannot plunk down a full cash payment for our houses or our cars. We have to pay them off over time, and we have to pay a little interest for doing so. That is a no-brainer. It is also accepted as a no-brainer that we know what we are going to pay. For every contract, except for credit cards, the terms are stated up front and do not change. When Ed and Sue bought their house, there was a statement that was given called Truth in Lending. They were shown the amount that they were borrowing, the interest rate, and how much total interest they would pay over the life of the loan. Most of us cringe when we see that total figure, but it is put before our eyes so we are aware of what we are paying over the life of the loan. The interest rate is right there in black and white, what it will be for each year of the loan. The terms are stated clearly, and you sign your name agreeing to those terms. You agree, and the bank agrees to keep those terms. A month later, the mortgage broker can't call up Ed and say, Oh, I see you were 30 seconds late in your car payment, so I'm going to increase your mortgage interest rate. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. The same standard contract rules apply for car loans, too. When they bought a second car for Sue a few years ago, Ed and Sue again signed a contract. And that stated the terms clearly. The amount borrowed, the interest rate, and the total amount that will be paid over the duration of the loan were plain to see. That is how contract law is supposed to work. In The Secret History of Credit Cards, Harvard Law professor Elizabeth Warren said, I've read my credit card agreement and I can't figure out the terms. I teach contract law. And the underlying premise of contract law is that the two parties to the contract understand what the terms are. (laughs) This is a Harvard Law professor. She said she can't figure out what the terms are in her credit card agreement. Credit card companies do not have to play by the same rules as everybody else. Ed and Sue bought a new television a few years ago for $1,200. Unexpected medical bills came up when their son broke his leg, and they were not able to pay off the balance in full. They were hit with a higher interest rate and a late fee for paying one day late. The balance had to roll over a few months until they could pay it off. That $1,200 TV ended up costing them over $2,000. The credit card issuers can raise interest rates, lower credit limits, tack on fees, virtually anytime they want at their own whim. Any time they want more money and want more profits, they just add it to your card. It'd be like, it's Tuesday. Eh, let's raise the rates. Why do they do this? Because they can. And all they want is money. And they want to keep you locked up in a slave forever. How many times have you heard the phrase, let's shed a little light on this? When we put something under the light, we see it for what it really is. When a child is afraid, the first thing we do is turn on the light and show them that there is nothing to be afraid of. When it comes to debt cures, you get the benefit of the light shining and exposing the credit card industry for what it really is. Now you can see that there is nothing to be afraid of. The monster under the bed isn't real, and the monster behind the credit card fees can be diffused. They may try to pick on the unwitting college student or the very poor person or the naive, but the bully never wins. In the end, he gets his. No more stealing candy from babies. The candy is yours, and you get to decide who to share it with. Lame excuses: Don't dream up excuses to tell your creditors. You are not the one to blame but you are the one who has the power to turn the tables. Lame excuses are what the creditors tell. Try asking a credit card customer service representative what a membership fee is, and they will recite a paragraph of meaningless babble instead of just telling you that it is a way of charging you an annual fee without you knowing that you are paying an annual fee. Membership has its privileges or something like that. Some of us, of a certain age, remember when the comedian Steve Martin had dark hair and had an arrow through his head. He had a comedy bit where he promised to tell you to be a millionaire and never pay taxes. That's right, how to be a millionaire and never pay taxes. First, get a million dollars. Everyone laughed. Then, when the IRS calls you up and says you have not paid your taxes, you simply say, I forgot. That's how to be a millionaire and not pay taxes. The IRS certainly does not work that way, and neither do your creditors. You have real reasons as to why you are having trouble paying your debt. But the real truth is that the lending institution really does not care what your reasons are. They just want your money, not your excuses, not your stories, and not your jokes. The next battle. Ed and Sue's next-door neighbors, Steve and Maria, had fallen on hard times when they both suddenly lost their jobs. Steve and Maria had believed that it was a smart idea that they both worked at the same place. They only had to have one car, so they saved in commuting costs. Always responsible with their money, they even had their car paid off. Steve and Maria never anticipated that they would both suddenly be without jobs, with no notice to prepare. One day, they shut up for work, and there was no company to work for. With both of them out of work, the bills piled up very quickly. It scared them. They let fear overtake them, and they worried about everything. In their panic, they wrongfully assumed that bankruptcy was the only way to get out of the financial mess that they had unexpectedly found themselves in. The first thing that Ed and Sue told Steve and Maria to do, lose the worry and fear. It does nothing to help the situation. Lying awake at night or arguing with your spouse does nothing to cure your debt problem. The next thing they did was give them a copy of this book ed and sue were so energized by their success in making the phone calls to the credit card companies that had saved them thousands of dollars they encouraged steve and maria to do the same they told steve and maria to go one step further call the credit card companies and negotiate a settlement steve and maria really were at the end of their financial rope they were shocked to learn that negotiating a settlement directly with the credit card companies was even a possibility they had made an appointment with a bankruptcy lawyer and were not asked any questions over the phone, just, we'll see you next week. They were surprised to hear that there might be other options. The credit card companies want to get their money and do not want to resort to collections if they don't have to. Jump the gun and beat them to the punch. Steve called his credit card company and explained that he had not been making his payments because he and his wife had both lost their jobs and were in fact meeting with a bankruptcy lawyer next week. He explained that they currently had no income and had wiped out their savings, paying their house payment. Based on the advice in this book, Debt Cures, Steve sent in his financial statement showing his net worth, which proved that he had no ability to pay. It took a few phone calls and some letters, and Steve and Maria were able to settle their credit card fees for half of what they owed 50 cents on the dollar. And that's not bad. Take note. Make notes of your conversations with creditors and bill collectors and take down full names of everyone you speak to. You can record the telephone conversations if you want, depending upon what state you live in. In California, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, Montana, Nevada, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, and Washington, it is illegal to record a phone conversation unless you have the other person's consent. So, you could say, would you mind if I record this conversation for my records? In the rest, if they say no, then you have to turn the tape recorder off. If they say yes, you can record it. In the rest of the 38 states, I believe, at this time of printing, it is allowed, but always check with your attorney. Make sure you have the settlement in writing before you send in any money and make sure you have a source that will loan you the money so that you can indeed pay the settlement by the specified date that you agreed to. If you do not pay with the credit card company by the specified deadline, they can call off the deal. Settling with credit card companies is a little-known opportunity that few people are aware of. If you go to bankruptcy court, the credit card company's chances of getting anything almost evaporate so they usually are willing to negotiate you negotiate with you another reason to settle directly with the creditors is to avoid the dragons of the financial lending industry the debt collection agencies they breathe fire and just may eat babies i bet a lot of those guys are covered in scales the dragon has been slayed the dragon had seemed so big and scary and powerful we cowered in the corner of the dungeon and assume the worst, and he would scorch us, and then have us for dinner. Then the dragon slayer strolled in, calm, cool, and collected. He saw that although the dragon was ugly, we're talking about the deck collectors, he was not as strong as we were led to believe. The dragon slayer didn't carry a sword or a fire extinguisher. Under his arm, he carried a book called Deck Cures, and it was a mighty weapon indeed. Fear was banished from the kingdom, and the people were restored to prosperity. The fortune teller came to town and predicted, in your future, I see great wealth. Anthony had a mortgage on his current home of $200,000. He had a buyer and a contract for the sale of his house. Anthony found another house to buy in the country with a little land and room for horses. Before the first sale was complete, the banker gave Andrew a new mortgage, another 200000 on the new property. The pending sales contracts for both properties were being handled for sale by owner, with no realtor involved. The sale of his current house fell through when the buyer's employer was bought out by a foreign company. The buyer lost his job. The bank would not give him a mortgage with no job. That meant no contract. Anthony no longer had a buyer for his house. Anthony's purchase contract on the country property was not contingent on the sale of his current house because he thought it was a sure thing. Anthony was now stuck with two mortgages that he could not afford. His banker had known that this was a possibility, but gladly gave him two full mortgages. No offer of a bridge loan and no friendly advice that the payments of two mortgage loans might be too steep for Anthony's income. The lender had all his financial information and ignored basic customer service. This happens all the time. He only saw a jackpot for himself. With a smile, the banker said, glad that I could help you out. See, the banker should have been honest and said, we can't do this because it wouldn't be in your best interest. Who helped, too, in this scenario? The banker is now collecting interest on two mortgages. Anthony is saddled with two house payments. But not by not defaulting... On the mortgage payments, his other expenses are being paid by credit cards. The situation is a freight train ready to derail. Maybe it could have been avoided if the helpful, friendly banker had given proper financial advice or had simply looked carefully at Anthony's income and said, I'm sorry, but you don't qualify for two mortgages. Instead, he just looked at the dollars that would be coming to him and his bank and what the bank had put on their balance sheet for money due. Very important. There are more stories than you could ever read about people who get caught up in debt, happen so quickly. Something puts us in a bind, and we turn to our credit cards to make it through. I imagine that since you are flipping the pages of Debt Cures, you or someone close to you needs the solutions and methods to get out of debt, and on the real task at hand, creating wealth. Everything in this book applies to each of us. Get out of debt, get on your way to wealth. The credit card industry may delight in our pain, But our sorrow is no more. What irks me is that the financial lending industry does not have to be so greedy. They are doing just fine. And the credit card banks needn't worry about ever going out of business. Here in America, we use our credit cards 52 million times a day. That's 36,000 times a minute that cards are being swiped. Shopping malls, grocery stores, restaurants, gas stations, fast food joints. Our credit cards see a lot of action. The credit card issuers get a percentage on every purchase. Over 36,000 purchases a minute should be bringing down a hefty income. Also, for the record, I have no quarrel with credit card issuing banks charging a reasonable interest rate. That is part of the deal with credit cards. Charge some interest. Make a healthy profit. Make a fair profit. Make a reasonable profit. The banks and credit card issuers would make cushy incomes with that factor along. But they're not satisfied with that. They want more. Greed, 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 greed. I know this because I know these bankers personally. I've been in their homes. I've had dinner with them. I see them. I talk to them. And it's out of control. They are out for, you know what I'm going to say, obscene profits. I know. I've had one of these guys in my house. He made me sick. But I have one word to say to them. Tough. We're going to fire back. And you already know how. Start by picking up the phone. Fair practices. As we've heard from our parents, our teachers, and our mentors, life is not always fair. We know that. The whole way that the credit card industry has done business is not fair. But it is, in many cases, legal. So we march on. We citizens of good character don't have to revolt exactly staging a Boston Tea Party type of demonstration where we all cut up our credit cards and toss them into the ocean or the local cesspool is really not the solution. Credit itself is not the enemy. We are going to talk about good credit versus bad credit shortly and how you can use good credit to achieve maximum wealth. Credit is not the evil that needs to be rallied against. The tactics of the entire consumer lending industry are the wicked devices that need improving. Because credit card debt is at an all-time high, and the fees and penalties and interest rates are at an all-time high, credit card delinquencies are in full bloom. The collection agencies are tickled. Business is booming for them. Debt is a big business, and the creditors and collectors are the sharks who are circling because they smell blood. Know your rights. The debt collectors do have rules that they are supposed to adhere to, but that does not mean that they will. However, if you know your rights, you can understand that the fire-breathing dragon really is nothing but hot air. Under a law that was passed called the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, debt collectors are forbidden by law to do the following. They can't contact you earlier than 8 a.m. or later than 8 p.m. But as we know, they do anyway. They're not allowed to contact you by phone after you have requested in writing that they stop. So all you have to do is write them a letter and say, do not call me anymore. And by law, they're not supposed to contact you at work, despite their knowledge of your employer's disapproval. But we know they do so anyway. They're not supposed to tell people, like your boss or other family members, that you owe money. But again, they do. They're not supposed to tell you that they will take your wages. But many of them lie and threaten you with that. They're not supposed to tell you that you can be arrested. They're not supposed to tell you that they will sue you. Only the creditor can sue you not the debt collector. Isn't that interesting? They're not supposed to send you papers that look like court papers, but they produce these papers that they send to try to intimidate you and making you believe that they are taking you to court. They're not supposed to talk to anyone but you, and they're not supposed to talk to your kids. Now this act came about because congressional findings in 1997 stated there was an abundant evidence of the use of abusive deceptive and unfair debt collection practices being done by most debt collectors. Abusive debt collection practices contribute to the number of personal bankruptcies, to marital instability, to loss of jobs, and to invasions of individual privacy, not to mention stress and medical problems caused by this harassment. Chapter 20, Achieving Wealth. Wealth is the ability to fully experience life. Henry David Thoreau. You know, I heard a phrase a long time ago that went something like, being rich is having money, but being wealthy is having time. That is a very telling statement. That is my wish for you, to have the time to enjoy your money, the wealth that you will create, and to relax and realize that the shadow of bad debt will not cloud your life forever. Bad debt can be a thing of the past and it never needs to show its ugly mug to you again in the beginning ed and sue started out in the beginning of this book feeling like an avalanche was washing over them the bills were coming in and they keep paying yet they never could get ahead anytime they needed a little extra money be it a doctor bill or a new furnace or brakes for the car They had to use their credit cards, and they were never able to pay off the balances. Every month, it seemed like there was something, and the credit card had to be used to bridge the gap. It was like a carnival ride, where it just keeps spinning and going round and round. A person can lose their equilibrium when they never get to stand on solid ground, and that is how Ed and Sue felt. They felt like they were in a downward spiral. They both had their jobs and could make their house payment and buy the basic necessities of life. Their kids didn't go hungry, and they had clothes and school supplies. They worked hard and did not spend frivolously, yet they were not able to save for emergencies, for their kids' college funds, or their own retirement. Ed and Sue never could get ahead, and it was frustrating. Their neighbors, Steve and Martina, were beyond frustrated. They were scared. They had both lost their jobs at the same time, and the bills seemed to pile up immediately. They had carried a balance on their credit cards before they lost their jobs, as millions of Americans do. When they started relying on the credit cards to pay for gas and groceries and had no immediate job prospects in sight, they started to panic. The credit card bills quickly swelled into a giant mess and the interest escalated the problem. They jumped to the assumption that the only escape was bankruptcy. We've got company. Ask anyone you know, and I bet they have a debt story to share. The odds are stacked against the average working citizen. We have mentioned that the average American has $8,000 in credit card debt. I've seen some figures showed as high at $11,000, no matter. The fact is that we are carrying large credit card debt. Throw in the car loan, and the approximate debt goes up to around $18,000 per U.S. household. Now add in a mortgage payment, and it's no wonder that just taking care of shelter, food, and transportation is a difficult task these days for most families. Most debt and credit books on the market today talk about how to cure debt by curbing your spending and cutting out the fat they make you think that it is something you did to create the wild debt problem it is plain to see that the real crisis is not the spending habits of the American public but the aggressive practices of the American consumer lending industry most folks are not in debt because they have a gambling problem Or a shopping addiction, or because they're spending too much money. Those are isolated occurrences and not the norm. Most people are in debt, not because of what they're spending, but the reason you have debt that you can't pay is because of the outrageous fees and the outrageous interest rates that the credit card companies are scamming you with. That's what no one's telling you. And that's why you can't get out of debt. It's what you're paying for the credit. That's the problem, not the credit itself. Listen to that statement again and again, and I hope you understand it. Everyday people. What about people like Jody and Richard? Richard works construction, and Jody works as a daycare center. They get by, and they pay their bills. They have a two-year-old, and Jody just gave birth to another baby. Their 10-year-old washing machine died and Richard does not want Jody to have to take a toddler and a newborn to the laundromat. Anyone who has ever had a baby knows that one tiny person creates a huge pile of laundry. Richard bought a new washer and had to charge it to his credit card. There is Helen, a retired music teacher. Her husband handled all the bills and when he died, she was lost. They never had any children so she does not really have anyone to look out for her except one nephew who mows her grass and changes her light bulbs. Helen has prescription medicines that insurance and Medicare do not fully cover, and they cost her hundreds of dollars every month. She was taken advantage of by an unscrupulous contractor who charged her double for a new roof. Her car needs a new fuel pump. Helen won't get her Social Security check for a few weeks, so she had to put the car repair on her credit card or what about greg his divorce cost him more than he could ever anticipated in lawyer fees plus he has to pay alimony and child support his ex-wife got the house and has a very low-paying job the water heater sprung a leak so she called greg to take care of it his children need hot water to take baths so he bought a new hot water heater but he had to put it on his credit card. See, these people cannot cut out the fat. They're not overspending. They're regular people with real situations. The trouble is that everyday working people cannot make it without having to use the credit card from time to time. And once they do, the trap snaps shut. And they are ensnared in a labyrinth of fees, 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 and outrageous interest. Getting untangled from it all seems so complicated that people can get overwhelmed or confused or scared your tax dollars adding to the frustration that we feel is that you and I go to work every day to earn a paycheck that gets eaten up before the next paycheck comes in just taking care of the basics is a struggle the United States is a debtor nation credit card debt that goes away is the invisible money sucker in the room Some people are spending 90% of their disposable income toward paying off the credit cards and other debts. It is not that we are charging like crazy. It is the fact that they, the credit card companies and the lending companies, they are charging us like crazy. The federal government is aware of the consumer lending crisis, but they refuse to do anything about it. The aggressive and predatory practices of the lenders and the collectors are common knowledge, Politics is the name of the game. You and I are not big campaign contributors. The consumer lending industry gives the politicians outrageous amounts of money. The big credit card banks give big dollars to Washington. In return, Washington lets them get away with murder. Predators on the Loose. In 2004, 30 states sued the big banks for predatory practices in their credit card-issuing methods. 30 states. That would tell a reasonable person that predatory practices were going on. There must be some reasonable people in Washington. What happened? Nothing. The feds actually defended the banks against the states. How crazy is that? the credit card banks continue to pile on the fees the penalties and the crazy interest rates these credit lenders continue to target the college kids and the people who can barely make payments so they can trap them with minimum payments that will take 20 to 50 years to pay off if ever the issue of educating our kids about consumer credit falls on the parents alone at all levels the public education system does not teach kids about managing money. Students graduate from high school and college with little, if any, knowledge about personal finance. With the literally billions of dollars that are spent on education, the government and the teachers' union do nothing to allocate any resources to addressing the credit cancer that's going on in America. Why is that? Dollars, money. The politicians accept campaign contributions from the large lending institutions... And in return, they agree to keep future generations in the dark, uneducated, and enslaved by these lending institutions. Why educate the golden goose when you can continue to take their eggs? It's just another example of the American public getting screwed. How ironic that your own tax dollars and mine are spent on an education system that not only is failing in the areas of reading, science, and math but personal finance as well. They want to screw us. I say, screw them. It's okay to get angry as long as you get busy. Taking care of business. Now, we can grumble all we want, but the best way to fight back is to, well, fight back. We know what they're up to, and now we can counterattack. Earlier pages in this book spent a lot of time of ink explaining credit reports and credit scores. Now you know you need to get your credit report, you need to review your credit report very carefully, and you need to correct the errors and remove false information. And you know how to do that. It's easy. 90% of all credit reports have errors. So you better believe it is worth your while to check yours over completely. A lot of credit scores are bad simply because the credit report has misinformation. Dispute and correct it. Monitor. Your credit report continues to evolve, so you need to continue to review it periodically. This is so vitally important. A bad credit score, or even one 10 or 20 points lower, can cost you tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars over your lifetime in extra interest. So don't forget, go to debtcures.com. That's a resource that is available to you. Your credit score, that three-digit number, is the only number you need to think about right now. Forget about your high school batting average or IQ, what the bathroom scale shows. Your credit score is your financial report card, and you want high marks. Improve your credit score overnight by doing the steps listed in Chapter 11. Once you've boosted your credit score, keep it there. Pay on time, never skip a payment, and make at least the minimum payment, if possible, more. Get the word out. One of my favorite solutions of the Debt Cures Methods, if I can take the liberty of playing favorites, Is that you can save yourself thousands of dollars immediately just by making phone calls anybody can do it and everybody can benefit anybody who has a credit card or has any debt balance can make these phone calls as i mentioned earlier and slash their debt it does not matter if you have five thousand ten thousand or fifty thousand dollars in debt you could reduce it virtually overnight some people have cut their debt in half some by two thirds and more it's painless it's easy and it will save you thousands and thousands of dollars it will reduce your debt so you never have to pay it and reduce your payments nothing gets you on the road to success like a small taste of what success feels like make sure you make those phone calls ultimately you are learning that you can be self-sufficient you do not need to pay someone to make these calls for you you can deal with your creditors and lenders and not have to pay any fees. Fees are what we are trying to avoid. You can learn to rely on yourself, so trust yourself. This is important in all aspects of your life. These self-help techniques can reduce your debt and payments. They can help you in all of your financial dealings in the future. Reducing and eliminating debt is a great feeling. Knowing that you are the one who handled the pressure and stood up to the giant monster of greed is downright inspiring. So be inspired. You've earned it. Now take the courage you have acquired and get ready to build your wealth. Can you understand why this solution makes me feel so good? Spread the word. Tell everyone you know to simply call all their credit card banks. When you call your credit card bank, you, number one, ask them to lower your interest rate. Next, you ask them to waive, previous fees and penalties, and ask them to increase your credit limit. Debt Elimination If I had to choose one favorite debt cures method, this would be it. The very idea of 100% debt elimination is such a motivator and an emotional shot in the arm. I would predict that before you read this book, 99% of all readers have no idea that this was even possible. I hope that now all of you will tell everyone you know. If your best friend had thousands of dollars in debt that they could get rid of completely entirely, every single penny, forever, they need to know this method. Maybe it is you with the old debt and the bad-tempered collection agent, making you irritable. Don't get ornery, get even. It only takes one sentence. The statute of limitations is gone. Agencies try to collect on bogus debts all the time, but now you know better. This solution, the statute of limitation expiration date, this is the solution that gives you a double prize. You have no debt to pay and you get the satisfaction that the debt collector does not make one dime off you. Or if the alleged debt is not expired, simply tell them to mail all the information on this alleged debt because you are not sure it's yours. You do not want to pay a debt that is not yours. Some debt collectors are not always trustworthy, so you need to protect yourself. Debt reduction. Okay, I have yet another favorite. Debt cures teaches you to use financial statements as a tool to reduce your debt dramatically. Debt cures is not about debt consolidation. That technique rolls everything into one sum, but it's still there. Debt cures is about debt elimination and debt reduction And self-empowerment okay i will put down my megaphone and pom-poms but this is great information and it's worth really getting excited about by simply drafting very basic financial statements or a simple two sentence letter from your cpa you have the most powerful tool to show the real score and you are the victor prepare a simple balance sheet and an income statement that shows your net worth and your true ability to repay your debt. Follow the outline formula to success by tactfully showing, in concrete professional statements, what you have and what you do not have. If you do not have it, you cannot pay. Do this and watch your debt disappear and stop the creditors and collectors from ever bothering you again. If they know and are convinced that you can't pay, they will not waste their time they will leave you alone so always prepare one a balance sheet two an income statement and three a letter that states your net worth the debt collector will see your financial statements and read your letter which states very plainly this is my net worth consisting of these assets my house my car my wedding ring these liabilities my mortgage loan my car loan My credit card debt number one, credit card debt number two, student loan, etc. After looking at this, he or she will be more accessible and more realistic in his demands. The debt collector won't keep insisting that you pay the whole $80,000 that you owe if it is clear that you could never pay even $10,000. And maybe all you can pay is nothing. If you have a negative net worth, show it. I cannot say this enough. Money talks, the numbers talk. If you have no money and you prove it to them, they will shut up and leave you alone. Give it a try. Present a professional case to the debt collectors and watch their superior attitude morph into a practical one of how they best can settle and still make their dime off your debt they want at that point to cut and run so help them on their way if you have not already done so draft your financial statements and a simple two sentence letter a sample balance sheet income statement and letter are provided as a guide for you and are included in the appendix of this book this successful formula absolutely works in just 24 hours you can bring your debt down by one-third, one-half, or even two-thirds. If you have a friend with accounting or legal experience, help help them draft your letter and put together your own financial statements. The collection agency does not have power over you. You do not have to be afraid of them. You can fight back and you can win. Michelle was very skeptical and didn't know if she believed that the debt collectors could be taken care of once and for all. She had nearly $100,000 in debt and thought that she had nowhere to go but bankruptcy. A friend convinced her to prepare an income statement and a balance sheet, along with drafting a letter to the collection agency. Michelle's debts were knocked down to the original $30,000 that had occurred now michelle is telling everyone to break free from their fears and follow the debt cures methods simple steps that anyone can follow to bring about astonishing results you have the right to remain silent or speak out do not forget that you have the right to sue collection agencies if they abused the fair debt collection practices act if they were deceptive unfair or abusive and you have documented your case it could be a wise move creditors and debt collection agencies are frankly quite surprised when they get sued and it is very expensive for them when they review the dollars they have to spend for legal fees versus the amount of debt that they are trying to collect from you it is almost always in their best interest to settle with you If you do sue and get a settlement, the most important term to get in your settlement is that they will have the collection proceedings removed from their credit report. That's very important that you have it removed from your credit report. They can have this negative information removed, and you can start over with a clean slate. That alone can sometimes be worth any legal fees that it may cost you to sue them. The numbers of complaints against debt-collecting agencies are soaring. You do not have to take their extremely aggressive practices. Know your rights and what they can and cannot do. Take notes of the name, agency, date, and time of every collector you talk to, if you do talk to them. You will want to have good records of all your communications, even if you have the matter promptly taken care of and they settle amicably. You don't have to be a jerk just because they act that way. You just have to know the steps to take. Talk tough. Don't let them take advantage of you. Believe me, they will try. The New York Attorney General sued a national debt collection agency for collecting on thousands of debt that could not even be proven to be real or collectible. Not only do they use every trick in the book, They make them up as they go. The Federal Trade Commission won a $10 million judgment against the company in New Jersey for their illegal debt collection practices. The company overstated the debts that people owed and used the illegal threats that we discussed earlier. So just because some person on the phone is talking tough and telling you that you owe them, don't fall for it. And don't be afraid to file a complaint a fighter. Sometimes, the only thing a person can do is fight back. An article ran in the New York Times about a woman who was put on the debt collection hit list for charges that didn't even belong to her. She got the bank to agree that she had never incurred those charges, but the debt had already been turned over to the collection agent who was barreling ahead full steam. The article states, one New York City victim, Judith Gilliatt complained and filed a police report in 2003 after receiving a Chase credit card bill for $2,300, including five charges from Amico Gasoline Stations in the Bronx. She had never owned a car and never had a driver's license. The bank agreed that the charges were not valid, but the debt case hung on, because the bank turned it over earlier to a collection agency. Last November, the agency obtained a court order, allowing it to freeze Mrs. Gilliatt's bank account, even though it could not demonstrate that the debt was valid and really hers. I felt helpless, said Mrs. Gilliatt, a nurse who was retired on full disability. I couldn't pay my rent, buy food, or even pay my electric bills. It took two years for this poor woman's bank account to get unfrozen. She was confused and fearful, and as she said, she felt helpless. That is why you need to arm yourself with the knowledge in this book so that you won't feel confused or afraid, and you are never, ever helpless. Monitor your credit report regularly. Go to DebtCures.com. We have a monitoring service there. And always review each monthly credit card statement. If something does not make sense, call the credit card company. Stop the hound dogs. Debt collectors may hound you at first, but you can nick them in the bud and stop them dead in their tracks. In 24 hours, you can take a situation that had you feeling despair to a state of repair. The creditors and debt collectors listen when the numbers speak. If the numbers on your balance sheet and income statement are screaming, I have nothing, the collector will realize it. It'll realize it's futile to continue to go after you and futile to keep with their scare tactics. They will become much more sensible in their dealings with you. When you were a kid and wanted to borrow a dollar from your brother, and he said he didn't have it, maybe you didn't believe him at first. You kept asking him and bugging him relentlessly. He insisted he was broke. Then you checked his piggy bank and his wallet, the one that he didn't know you knew where he hid it, and you saw that they both were indeed empty. You finally understood that he honestly did not have a dollar to give you. So what did you do? You left him alone. Debt reduction methods are easy. You have every right to take full advantage of these solutions. They know it. That's why the banks and the credit card companies don't want this book in circulation. That's why I am being attacked so much. The consumer lending industry would most certainly prefer that I keep all their tactics to myself. Well, sorry, fellows, That ain't going to happen. Enough is enough. If they would be satisfied with healthy, fair profits and return to fair, ethical lending practices, I wouldn't have anything to talk about. If they continue to keep up their outrageous methods of pinching every last penny out of the American citizen, then I will continue to expose them for what they are. An obnoxious, greedy industry. should be shown for what it is. If they decide to change their ways, I'll be the first to applaud them.